Greetings and grace and peace and mercy from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ to everyone who has tuned in today. Uh, last week we did our best to navigate quite a challenging, at least for me, introduction and I hope you, you managed to navigate it as well. And this week we want to get a little bit into the details of living to die and dying to live. And I just want us to take a moment and, and, and pray and really ask God to help me and help you as we delve deeper, that there'll be clarity, that there'll be simplicity, that the Holy Spirit will guide us through it all. So I want you just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, here we are once more in our hearts. We seek you in our hearts. We seek your will. We want to hear what you are saying. We have heard what man says. We have heard what different posts are saying. But we also want to hear from you. And even more so, Lord, we want to be prepared for what is inevitable. We want to be strengthened in Christ. We want to be able to stand and withstand the enemy in all his schemes. Therefore, Lord, clarify to us what is it that we need to be able to do. And even as we deal with the subject of death in a, in a manner that is not customary, Lord, help me, help me to find a simpler way, your way, and have the listeners, Lord, to find strength in these ways that you will give me today in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we, we finished off with a challenge to say, as you go through the pains that you are going through, I wanted you to think through the fact that things are not getting easy. They are going to get worse. And by worse, I do not necessarily imply that many people in terms of your own life will die. But certainly, people will die. More people will die all over the world. Stuff is going to happen. But what I had wanted you to process and think about is that the Bible is very clear. It's on record saying in the last days, evil, wickedness is going to increase as much as righteousness will increase. Paul tells us that these things will happen. Why? Because God knows that are those that are his. So righteous people will seek God more and more as we go through difficult times. Difficult times will draw us closer to God. Whilst those who have actually not been of God will be drawn away from God. And some who are still God's children will, will, will walk a bit far from God, but not 
far in a sense that they, 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 they deny Jesus. But their faith will be challenged. But I believe it is God's plan that he will restore even those who would kind of become lukewarm. Because in lukewarmness, God says, I want you to, to, to make up your mind. Don't be lukewarm, either be cold or hot. So I believe those shall be restored as well. So I want to pick on, on the idea that wickedness is going to increase so that when we deal with death, we must realize that death primarily emanates from sin. But sin expresses itself in all forms of wickedness. In the end, all of death will bring forth death in one way or the other. And you and I have to find a way to fortify ourselves against the devastating effects of death. And part of what we are trying to do in order to fortify ourselves is to think about our own death, to think about the death of our loved ones, to think about death itself, and to think about what Christ has done to death and what are the implications of death. So today I'm hoping we can cover a little bit about death itself. What do we think? And... I'm, I'm going to try and look at what practically that means for you and me. And then we'll look at what does it mean for me to die? If I'm not thinking about somebody dying, but I actually think about myself dying, what goes through my mind and how should I be thinking about that? So let's start off, therefore, with the idea that Paul tells us. In 2 Timothy 3, from verse 10 to, to 14, Paul tells us there that in these last days, this is his final charge to Timothy about the last days. I'm reading from verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 to verse 14. You, however, Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, number one, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Paul introduces this idea in the final charge that you know that I have suffered but I have kept the faith, I have endured in all these things, I have not lost my faith in God. And as a result, those processes have not made my love for God to grow cold. And God, in response, as I got closer to him, he drew me more and more to himself, and he rescued me from all these things. He says... In fact, so applying what happened to himself with the hope that when we go through stuff, we will have, we will maintain the attitude of faith and love and trust in God that he maintained. He admonishes us as well in verse, 13, in verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, obviously, possibly leading to death. 
Now this is where he talks about what then will happen with evil. He says, while evil doers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They will go from bad to worse. When you read in the book of Daniel chapter 12, from, you read verse 10, it tells you that the wicked will become more wicked. Wickedness will increase in the last days. And the same theme is carried by the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, 11, let the wicked still continue to be wicked. In other words, God says, I will hand you over to your wickedness, according to Romans chapter 1. Therefore, you will strive to be more wicked, and the righteous in a similar manner will be more righteous. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, John, Tandiwe, Tandega, whoever you are, get whoever you are. He says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned. And from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And it comes to this famous point. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work has every evil work opposing it. And part of wickedness is to create environment that takes away our peace, our joy in God, our trust in God, and death is one such incident. And that's what we're dealing with this time. So these observations and these ponderings that I'm asking you to go through are intended to help you create a perspective, not to be pessimistic, but in your realisticness, prepare yourself with an awareness that these things are happening and these things will happen. So number one is that the scope of righteousness and wickedness shall both increase to the ends of the world. So you and I, as children of God, we must not be dragged into ungodliness by wickedness. As we hear, people are going to say things, do things that will offend us. They will come with all sorts of theories. Stuff will happen to the church. But what happens as wickedness against us must not make us respond wickedly as well. Because that would mean we partake in increasing wickedness in the world. We must trust God for Christ-like responses. We must train ourselves in godliness. Another reality that you must ponder, as I had earlier mentioned, is that many people are going to die. Why will many people die? Well, obviously because of the idea that all kinds of incurable diseases will come. Whether they be formulated by men, whether they be uh, a reality of our sin manifesting itself, people will die. But another thing is this. 
People will die because as wickedness increases, men's vileness, men's atrocities against another will increase. That's why we hear more of increased gender-based violence, people raping children, all kinds of violence. As wickedness increases, men's hate towards another man will increase. Wickedness, as it increases, it will also seek to destroy light, which means persecution will increase against righteousness because the Bible says Jesus is the light. It says, in the beginning was the way. The word was with God and the word was God. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of man. Then light shines in the darkness, but the darkness comprehends it not. What is the response of darkness, of, of wickedness, of vile men? Is to suppress the church. And part of that suppression is persecution and killing believers. So many people will die. So both believers and non-believers will die in numbers. Hence then we need to discuss the idea of death. To think about death when you are not faced with it is deemed by many to be fatalistic. That is why others are even thinking, why are you talking about this until being fatalistic and pessimistic? But let me say, to face death without being ready for it is more devastating. If you don't really believe me, try to have a conversation with people who were in ICU recently, who didn't think they will make it. How suddenly prayer became a need, how the prayers of the saints like Peter was faced with the sword, how all of a sudden they realized, I wish to live and mend my ways. Ask those who had accidents and they had to stay in commerce, and they were, they, 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 they were meant to die, but God brought them through. Those who escaped accidents where you think, I don't know how the person who was involved came out. Go and ask them whether it's a worthwhile thing to think about your death. Because as soon as they realized death was very, very close, Suddenly they realized that everything they lived for could be taken away from them. And therefore, it has to be meaningful, given a second chance to live. So try to have a conversation with someone who came face to face with death. Hopefully you will glean some wisdom. And as I had mentioned in the past, contemplating your death or the death of a loved one will give a meaningful and a purposeful view to life. Death, may I repeat, will affect every area of our lives when we complete it and when we are affected about it, by it. And death will never leave you unchanged. And so as we think about these things, I said, think about your own death. And that's what I want us to do. But to think about death, let me give you a picture that will help you to think about death. Over the years, we have studied the different pictures of the church. The church, the Bible, 
depicts the church as the bride of Christ, the field of Christ, as a family, as a community, as living stones, as a building. But it also says, the church is an army of God. It says we are the soldiers of Christ. And in different contexts, in different areas, eras of church existence, the church has had to emphasize one or two or more of these qualities or these pictures or these characteristics of the church to thrive and continue in its mission and mandate. I'm convinced that in these last days, what we need to emphasize one is the bride of Christ. We need to emphasize holiness again as we anticipate the coming of Christ. That every child of God must seek to violate themselves against sin and sinfulness and immerse themselves in the grace of God to live a holy life. But then, in a similar vein, and Possibly with a greater emphasis, we should also speak about the militancy of the church. The very fact that we are soldiers, we are army, we are the army of God. And as an army of God, our regular emphasis is normally just around demons. But remember, our battle is not just with demons as agents, but uh, it's also in relation to what demonic forces induce in our lives. Sicknesses, fear, disease, all kinds of things that are the enemies of the finished work of Christ Jesus. So we need to develop a much clearer picture of ourselves as an army. So, when you are a soldier, I guess many of us have watched so, uh, army movies, even if you have not gone to, you see it all the time. The first preparation of, an, of, of a soldier is not going into war and facing the enemy. It is actually defeating their own dispositions towards laziness, towards comfort and ill discipline. In other words, to learn how to submit to authority, to learn to submit to your superiorities, your superiors. If you think about it, Soldiers are trained to stand in attention in the presence of their superior. When a major colonel, someone of a higher rank comes into the fold, you see them going attention. And they are, they are taught to respond to the voice of their, their senior with clarity and without hesitation. And this is something they carry in themselves. They die to themselves first. They live up to the instructions of their, their superiors. And that's the attitude they carry into battle. When they get into battle, I don't know if you've watched Saving Private Ryan and many other such movies. Whether you've watched Braveheart, War movies, you know, The Last Samurai, all kinds of these dangerous war movies. 
when they get into war, several things happen. Identify your enemy, know your allies, know your fellow soldiers. But here are other realities. There are casualties. People get shot. People get wounded. But as I had said in the past, being wounded does not mean you're no longer fighting. It might mean you go to hospital depending on whether your wounds are treatable at that time. They're not fatal. They might just bandage you and hand you your machine gun. You still have to shoot. If uh, uh, the, 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 the emergency does not arrive on time when you are shot, you still have to be on the lookout for the enemy. And so... Death is an enemy. We'll come to that just now. It's an enemy that the devil uses. Sickness and diseases. So in this war that we are fighting, it's not just about casting out demons, but it's about being aware of the weapons that are used against us. And therefore, we ready ourselves by fortifying ourselves, by knowing that someone, a soldier next to me, can die or be injured, or I can die or be injured. How do I still continue in the battle? Because the battle is not won yet. On the cross of Calvary, yes, their victory is guaranteed. But what you and I have to enforce here on earth until the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, we still have to continue fighting. So what I want you to be aware of is unless you are ready to deal and understand death in a way that can make you face it even whilst you cry, even whilst you are hurting, but you are able to say, this war with this enemy is not over yet. Death is going to traumatize you permanently. It will steal your faith. It will steal your joy completely. It will make you hate God and hate the message of the gospel, it will, it, 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 it will poison you with anger. You will be depressed. Psychology speaks of stages of grief. These are all normal. But like we read last week, other people didn't even have the chance to go through denial. Because there was no denial. You were told your wife is going to die. There was no anger. There was no bargaining, there was no accepting all these, these, it was just be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and get on with, like I said last week, do I want to sound insensitive and say, let's not mourn, no, let's mourn, we'll get to that when we talk about dealing with the death or the loss of a loved one. But even there, we need to guard our inner worlds, how these things are affecting us. So, death, therefore, is inevitable for many and various reasons. So, I want to talk about 
death a little bit. I won't go into great details. I'll go into details when we talk about what Christ has done to death because we can't really talk about death properly without talking about what Jesus has done. But let's talk about simple things that we all can understand about death. Number one that we have already said is that death is inevitable. Why is death inevitable? Because death comes at different levels and in different types. Death is physical. Death is also spiritual. Death is also eternal. So when we're talking of death in a spiritual sense, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we were dead in our sins. Therefore, from that place of understanding that when you are sinful, when you are in God, you are carrying dead. You are dead to God. You cannot please God. So in a sense, you are dead spiritually and you are living your life towards dying in the event that you do not accept Christ. At the same time, death is inevitable for a Christian in a sense that we carry the death of Christ in us. What is the death of Christ? The death of Christ is actually the idea of dying to self, to sin. The Bible says, he who is in Christ is now dead to sin and alive to God. But here's what I want you to remember, that you and I, both believers and unbelievers, what makes death in inevitable physically is that we carry it both as a decaying phenomenon or reality, but also we carry death as a principle of sin in us. In Romans chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 24. It says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? From this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, death is in us as a principle of sin that we inherited. So this body is decaying whether we like it or not, whether we Botox it, whether we liposuction it, whatever we do to this body, this body is dying. On the other hand, this body carries a principle, a law of sin that brings death. So from that perspective, death is inevitable. As a child of God, you are also likely to face death for Christ. In Romans, we see how we, we, we have died with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, we've read this portion so many times. It says, Romans chapter 3 from verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried 
with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Listen to verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to what it says to a child of God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we are not going to physically die? No. We will die. But it means, firstly, we move from a place of being aware that this body is dying anyway. Although we are wasting away outwardly, we are being renewed inside. Therefore, our concern and our meticulousness with regard to self-preservation, must not go to the flesh. And therefore, because we are so consumed with the body and what happens with it, the death of the body overconsumes us. We don't even realize that it's inevitable. And therefore, we should just adequately prepare for it. Then I want to ask a question about death. Okay, before we can get there, we've already mentioned that death is an enemy. Second, uh, in First Corinthians, Paul tells us that death is an enemy, the last enemy to be defeated. But when you are in Christ, the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ took the form of flesh like you and I so that he can defeat him who holds the power of death, who is the devil. You see, the devil uses death as a weapon of fear, as a weapon of discouragement, as a weapon that makes God's children question the love of God. I'm just reminded of a verse. Let me read it whilst I'm still there. The verse that you and I know in Romans chapter 8. We'll read it again, but I think it's very good to read it even today. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us about the love of God. It says, let's take it from uh, verse 34, in as much as I want us to read 38. 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, listen, child of God, for your sake we face death all day long. For your sake, O Christ, we do not shun away from death. Whether it's physical death that faces us, whether it is the pain of facing the death of a loved one, whether it is the, the eventuality, the possibility of dying for you, we face it every day. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and this part is the one that really resonates with me, that I need to be convinced that despite the fact that I'm going to lose the loved one, I'm going to lose them, people will die around me, people that I love, people that I've cherished, people that I've created beautiful memories with, people that I know God love, I know that these people love me and I had dreams and, and, and aspirations with these people. When they die, I must still be convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I want to say what really gripped my heart is that the love of God is so powerful. The Bible says of that love, it says, your love is better than life. How much more in death? Death cannot separate us from the love of God. And therefore, death, may I dare say, should never make us question the love of God. The love of God is supreme. God loves us. Last week I spoke about the idea that when a child has been injured, they come to you, you embrace them, but you still say in their pain, you say, you will grow. Why? Because you have been on the other side. You have fallen. You have injured yourself. I've seen this concept in business. Those who are in business say, you will lose some money before you make some money. It's almost like they say, you will fail before you make it in business. I've seen it in the homes where parents are like, no, 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 no. I don't want this child to be a sissy. I want them to be strong. Let them experience life. You see it everywhere. You see, you see it in counselings where they tell you, face your fears. But if your fear is death, the Bible says we face it still. Does it hurt? Yes. Does it devastate? Yes. Should it make us hateful? I hope not. Should it make us angry and vengeful towards God? I hope not. Because it is inevitable. You cannot keep hating because you have experienced death of a loved one. It is possible that eventually you may lose everyone until you are the only one standing. But as I said, death is defeated in Christ. So let me just go back to the question I was asking. Why is death so painful to handle? You know, in the natural, we seem to have clear answers why death is painful. It's painful because we lost people we love, we lost the people we've cherished, we're not going to see them. As we say in the funerals, you're not going to hear their voices. And when you lose someone, it, it can be, it's traumatic. Like we said, sometimes you have flashbacks. People think I'm losing my mind. I saw someone like my mother, like my sister, somewhere in the street. When I go, I see people that look like them. 
I, I get a sense that I, they can just come in where I hear voices. Those are natural psychological responses to a traumatic situation. But I want to also look at why is it so difficult, biblically speaking? Number one, death is difficult to handle. Primarily because God, when he created us in him, he promised us eternal life. Therefore, we are wired with eternal life in, in us. I will come back to the idea of that. Let's go to the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. God, as he promised, as he chose us in Christ, he gave a promise of eternal life. But God didn't just promise eternal life. And this is where the rubber meets the road for us in our conflict with death. Listen to what the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says. I want to read it in the Amplified. Listen to what he says. It says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose, a, a, a longing to live with God forever in the human heart, a, mini, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out or comprehend what God has done, the overall plan of God from beginning to end. Why are we grappling with death? Why is death so painful? It's because you and I were not created to die. And we struggle with death. Not just because we, 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 we fear our losses, but because the way we are wired, we are wired for eternity, and God has put it in our hearts, eternity in our hearts. But three, when you read in Genesis, this we, we all know, many of us can call, quote it off by heart, in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care of it. And the Lord said, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. Verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of God and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Why are we struggling with death? Because God did not want us to die. Now, look at it. God says, I put boundaries for you to experience eternal life. But here's the reality. If you, you sin against God as Adam and Eve did, they introduced a contradiction to what we are wired to. We were promised eternal life. We were wired with eternity in our hearts, but they introduced death. Now, because that's not how we were wired, we struggle with death. But what's worse 
about us and death is that because of our eternal wiring, man desires eternity and the best of this sinful world at the expense of eternity with God. We are wired to believe that we are to be our best selves and experience the best of everything here on earth and therefore we mourn the loss of everything here on earth. Why? Because the devil knows, as it were, that we continually worship we cling to heaven with our tongues and our mouths, but with our hearts we cling to earth. And that is why it was a temptation that the devil brought to Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, I'm sure all of us remember, the devil brings Jesus to the very pinnacle. He says, in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him, listen to what he shows him, an instant the, the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, there are words that are written there that we talk about in funerals. It says from the Amplified Version, Revelation uh, chapter 14. Can't read it in this version. It says, then I heard in the NIV, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So this is in the context of all the persecution and so on and so forth. But what I want to land on, which we will labor next week is this idea is that your current state as an individual will determine how you feel when confronted by death when you are thinking about your personal death so i'm just going to highlight this and we'll pray personal states anyone who's gonna face death starting with believers ending with or starting with unbelievers, ending with believers, you are either in this condition. Number one, you are either without Christ. When you are dying without Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are bound to hell, to condemnation. And therefore, death must be fearsome to you. And the weapon has been successfully used against you as the devil would have it. But here's the one that really, for me, I wish Christians can understand. As a child of God, there are, you can face death in these different states. Number one, you can face death whilst you are in Christ. 
Now, Revelation gives a comprehensive application when you say those who die in Christ. But I'm going to give you the specifics. Dying in Christ, it can mean you are dying just born again. So there are people who are born again, but they are lazy in every way in God. You might die in that state. Two, you might die serving the Lord, living out God's will. So this, this is different. You are born again, and you are living in God, as, as Christ, Paul puts it, for me to live is in Christ. You live in witnessing. You live in holiness. You live in all that God wants you to live in. Death for the two of you does not necessarily have the same eternal effect. The one common thing is you both will be with the Lord. But other things that we shall talk about are not the same. And as a child of God, something you must be prepared for is that you might die for the Lord. Not everyone who's in the Lord is going to die for the Lord. Not everyone who's serving the Lord will die for the Lord. Matayadom being killed under persecution for Jesus. Some of us are not ready for it. Here's my question. What if you are meant for it? What if you are meant to die at a place where you are given an option? Deny Jesus or die? Put differently. What if death comes as a weapon that challenges your faith? Your God is a cruel God. He killed your son, your mother, your friend, your Deny him and be an atheist. What are you going to do? What if in your own temptations, suddenly you feel like you are no longer a child of God? May you and I be convinced that neither death and all the others shall separate us from the love of God. As we pray for comfort, let's pray for perspective. As we pray for healing, let's pray for restoration and strength. Let's pray for militancy. Let's pray that we will be fortified against the devastating effects. Let's pray that even in the midst of death, I will cry, I will mourn, like we will learn how to mourn, but I will still declare, Jesus, is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are your children. Because of the name of Jesus, we will face death because we carry his death, because we live in a world that seeks to silence us from talking about him. We will face death. We will face death because these bodies are decaying. We will face death because the enemy wants to undermine the integrity of your love and your faithfulness in our lives. The enemy wants us to question if God is good, why this wickedness, why these losses? But if God is good, so is the devil wicked. 
And wickedness is part of our daily experience. Wickedness carries with it the, the, the punishment of sin. Wickedness brings with it death. We live in a fallen world. Help us not to live as fallen creatures because in Christ we have been raised. We have been resurrected with him. Help us to live as those who know that in him, yet though we die, yet shall we live. If we believe in him, we shall not death, second death has no power over us. Grant us to desire life, eternal life with you for ourselves and for our loved ones. Remove from our understanding the fallacy that the good of what you have for us is in this world. That eternity binds us to a long life in this fallen, sinful, wicked, passing away world. But help us to know that truly absence from this body will be into the eternal glories of God where we shall hunger no more, where we shall thirst no more, where you shall wipe every tear from our eyes, where we shall have no enemies of wickedness. And where we shall sing with the angels of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Salvation belongs to our God. May in our sorrow, Lord, may in our mourning, Lord, may we raise up a soul. Say, the Lord is good, his mercies endureth forever. Had it not been for the Lord when the courts of death entangled me and I was in mourning, I would have given up hope. But yet this I bring to mind that because of the steadfast love of the Lord and his mercies that I knew every morning, I am not consumed. They are new every morning, your mercy is great, is your faithfulness, even in the midst of pain, trials, tribulations, and sorrow. I am convinced that death and all the other weapons of the devil shall not separate me from your love, God. And I pray that whoever is listening, whatever the trial, the fiery things they are going through, they shall not separate them from your love. May we cry, may we mourn, but may we never remove our eyes from Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. May our faith be perfected in him to your glory as we face our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll continue next week. Have a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.